technology. It's advancing faster and taking less time to be widely adopted than ever before. Launch AI. AI is basically an emulation of us. No one very special person to me. Autonomous driving started. AI can give us that answer that we've been seeking all along. Are we alone? Each time we create a more powerful technology, we create a bigger lever for changing the world. Welcome to the Shoreline Maritime Risk Podcast. In each episode, we'll look at real-time case studies, current events, and speak to the experts dealing with critical risks at sea. What really happens when a crisis strikes at sea? And what can you do to protect your ship? The volume of data available in the world is growing exponentially. According to recent predictions by International Data Corporation, the amount of data created worldwide in 2025 will be 10 times what it was in 2017. Increased digitalization of the shipping industry is an inevitability, and the consumption of data analytics to gain deeper maritime domain awareness is on the increase. Indeed, Shoreline are a consumer of data analytics, derived from AIS positional data, and work with leading data analytics firm, Windward, to establish accurate reporting on Shoreline's insured fleet for every entry, exit, and duration of stay within the United States' exclusive economic zone. Windward's artificial intelligence-driven platform processes millions of data points to establish accurate vessel tracking in predefined areas or polygons. Shoreline have used data analytics to re-engineer their internal administrative processes to create significant efficiencies for the business and their client base. In this podcast, I talk to Ron Crean at Windward about digitalization and the shipping industry and whether COVID-19 has accelerated our adoption of all things digital. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Nick Madlena, and I'd like to welcome you to the next in the series of Shoreline's Maritime Risk Podcasts. This one is entitled Data Analytics and the Shipping Industry. I'd like to welcome my guest this morning, Ron Crean, who is VP Commercial at Winwood, a leading maritime data analytics firm. And it's worth mentioning that Shoreline is a consumer of Winwood's data analytics. So good morning, Ron. Uh, perhaps we could start by you introducing yourself and giving our listeners an overview of Windward's work and uh, reach across the maritime ecosystem. Morning, Nick. Thanks, uh, thanks for the invitation. Um, I think as, as background, I've been in the maritime industry since the early 90s, so, so quite a while. Um, and I've worked in you know, various shipping roles, you know, dry cargo ops, uh, all the way through to linership, uh, you know, trade management. Um, done some chartering, you know, chartering product tankers. Um, and then it's my first .com, I guess, of relevance to today, um, about 20 years ago. So I joined, about 16 years ago, I joined um, AIS Live as, as the first employee. Um, 
and that was to start the first global AIS network. Um, now it's like electricity, everybody has it, but at the time, you know, it was net new to the, to the industry. Um, and then um, that was sold to IHS. So I spent a few more years with them, uh, building up their global trade business. Um, and they've worked in, you know, strategy, M&A, growth. Um, and then a couple of years at, at uh, ABP in the UK as group head of marketing for their 21 ports. Um, and then mid last year, I joined Winwood. Um, I'd known them for quite a few years you know, before then. And so I'd watched what they'd done with interest. Um, and I always saw them as the, you know, at the cutting edge really of, of what was happening in shipping. Um, and particularly around, you know, the emerging data science around behavior, which I didn't realize was a thing until, until a couple of years ago, but now very much is. So, so I've always had a passion for technology. Um, so it's great to get the opportunity to, to discuss it with you. That's great. It's, it's interesting that uh, you point out that AIS, uh, the AIS network has been around for the last uh, 16 years, um, whereas behavior is is a relatively new new thing. I guess it would be great if you could give uh, an, an overview of, of your view of the difference between digitization uh, versus digitalization when we think about digital transformation i realize there's lots of digitals in that but uh, <laughs> but it would be good to uh, good good to hear your your definition and and differences yeah sure so i guess when i think about um digitization i see it really as an electronic version of a paper process um and across our industry in particular i think paper is still king um and i think that really needs to to change to cope with the scale of the industry I mean, just just as an example, you know, one large container ship these days, you know, 22,000 TU vessel potentially has $2 billion of cargo on board. Um, and I think it's fair to say that the processes around the industry are really not geared um, for that sort of single point of failure or risk. Um, and, and I think that there's going to have to be an acceleration of, of innovation um, around those higher value problems to solve. So, So I think... The key difference is that digitalization, in my opinion, is really focused on the so what. Um, it's more about outcomes and uh, decision support. I think it, what we really need is a complete rethink of a problem um, and then coming up with a completely new way of, of delivering a solution. Um, I think the key with digitalization is that it puts you in a net new place. You know, It's not speeding up an old process. It isn't faster paper. It's, it's a net new thing. And it's when it's really good, I think it's based on lots of different data sources, um, in particular around you know, geospatial intelligence in order to build a better picture, build better context faster. So geospatial intelligence, how, how, how does that contribute to, to domain awareness, the maritime domain, and, and what is it? Well, essentially... I think if you just take a step back over the last few years, I think um, the amount of data that has any sort of time or space attribute to it. So, so basically something that has the, the location, you know, latitude, longitude, for example, um, and then a time attribute. So when did whatever it is that we're interested in occur um, so that you've got some sort of history aspect to it? You know, is it, is it live or is it historical? 
um, so that you can start to build trends out of different data sets. Um, and out of those different data sets, you know, what I've seen over the last 20 years of looking at this stuff is it used to be okay to just build layers and you could build amazing insight by building up layers of linked data sets. And so sometimes data sets that don't even appear linked, um, which actually become, um, you know, very connected, um, where you suddenly start to real realize, you know, correlation between data sets that previously you may not have looked at. Um, so things like, you know, aggregation of risk with cruise ships and buildings in Miami or, um, you know, catastrophe modeling and risk selection, um, you know, portfolio modeling, all, all sorts of things that were really, really quite tough before um, are actually a lot easier now. It's still not, it's still not easy, but the tools are certainly a lot better now than they used to be. Um, and that we're now really looking at things like propensity to risk in future. You know, so really starting to model based on the behavior of the ship um, in this case, ship, um, what's that going to do in the next 18 months? And I think that's, that's quite an exciting leap forward from where we were even a couple of years ago. So of the layers that, uh, that, that you've mentioned, obviously first, the first layer that you mentioned was, uh, AIS and building up a, a picture of, uh, the track of, of the vessel over time. Uh, another layer could be, could be weather. Uh, what are what are the layers would typically be incorporated in in creating this uh, rich picture uh, of of the maritime domain? There's so many. Um, I mean, at the moment we we test on things like you know radio signals from space, um, which I think is uh, is again you know another new leap, which is is something that we're, we're looking at. Um, so it's basically trying to augment what's already there. So AIS on its own is, is, is very useful as an input. Um, it's very noisy data. So it means you have to have um, lots of redundancy. You've got to buy the same thing over and over again in order to um, you know, build in some resilience and redundancy. Um, you know, you've got to be able to you know, add to that with other uh, corresponding sources of, of insight. So you know, radio is one, you, you mentioned weather. So you know, there's also it depends on the problem you're trying to solve. I guess is the essence of it. But you know, things like you know wave heights, wind direction, um, you know depths from charts. Um, there's, there's a there's a very large range of of additional things that we think about. Um, but what, one of the things that I think is particularly interesting is the the new data set that you get from the source itself. So rather rather than just relying on you know say weather or or anything else. The net new data set is actually the behavior of the ship and the pattern that it creates over time. And then being able to build pattern analysis with other vessels in other regions that are displaying a similar um, you know, mode of operating. I think that for me, I think is, has been pretty fascinating. You know, the idea that you can actually create a totally different layer of insight um, based on something that I thought I knew really well on its own. You know, so just the AI on its own, I thought was, you know, when I originally did it, I thought it was, it was, you know, almost magical each time you switched on a new station and you suddenly got insight into an area and you could see everything that was going on in Singapore. Um, and then fast forward a few years now, now being able to build those extra layers of even when something goes dark, let's say, or goes, you know, yeah. we describe it as sort of dark activity. It's, I guess it's 
unknown activity. Um, what's it really doing? What, what's it potentially doing? Um, is it doing it with somebody else? You know, who is that? You know, are they displaying dark activity in their history? Um, and then and just building up that very deep view of, of um, you know, the life of a, of a, of a vessel, you know, what's normal um, so that you can start to pick out when it does something out of the ordinary. So I think there's, there's a lot of richness in there that you can, you can really pick out. Very interesting. So the, the, the increased availability of data and the building up of, of layers creates, creates new insights. So I guess the question that uh, our listeners will be asking is, is that the emerging technology, uh, how is that contributing to the, to the industry? And how do you see uh, the increase in data, the increased depth of insight contributing uh, to the industry going forward? I think it's always about context. Um, you know, for every, for every role, um, I'm really interested in, in what difference things like, you know, deep data science, artificial intelligence. I'm interested in what difference that makes to people's roles um, and the roles of, you know, the people that we speak to, you know, underwriters and, um, you know, P&I clubs in particular. Um, they're complicated. Um, they're global. They're 24 seven. Um, they have very deep problems to solve and they usually need to do it quickly. Um, so I think when I think about AI, I think about it as augmented intelligence rather than artificial intelligence, because essentially what we're doing is adding to deep professionals, you know, who have 30, 40 years of experience, let's say, and, what we're trying to do is basically say, you carry on doing what you're doing. We'll augment what you're doing by doing some of the heavy lifting. Um, and I, I think that's really key. So I'd say, I'd say the big thing is about building better context faster. Certainly the, uh, certainly the case with uh, Shoreline's consumption of, of Winwood's data analytics, uh, the problem-solving capabilities of being able to track vessels entering and exiting the US EEZ has made uh, a significant difference to the number of uh, man hours required to uh, to create a, a clear track of, of Shoreline's portfolio. So I guess um, probably worth asking in a little more detail about what we mean by big data and and what is artificial intelligence, because a lot of people have different definitions, uh, but but what is what is what is your definition of, of of artificial intelligence, and how do you see it being integral to processing big data? So let's let's start with big data. I mean, there's lots of different um, versions of it. Um, I knew you were going to ask me about it, so I thought rather than give you my definition of it, I'd, I'd give you Investopedia's definition of it, um, and then I'd add my take to that so investive investopedia say it's the um big data refers to the large diverse sets of information that grow at ever increasing rates um and they say um it encompasses the volume of information the velocity that it's created and collected and the variety or scope of the data points being covered so those three v's are 
the sort of traditional characterization of big data, um, you know, volume, velocity, um, and variety. But, but I actually think that there's probably another two Vs that, that should be added to that list. And I think that's where uh, we come in is veracity and value. And I think the veracity of big data is about, you know, it's all very well having thousands and thousands of data points. I mean, we deal with billions of data points, but it's at some point it's so abstract, it's hard to uh, uh, sort of put it in context, you know, that makes sense on an everyday level. Um, but I think the essence of it is being able to cut through all of that noise and then just picking out the, the nugget that you need to know for the problem you're trying to solve. And I think that's where um, um, artificial intelligence comes in, where we're essentially taking what domain experts understand to be true of the maritime domain and then applying that to specific problems. And, and I think there's a, there's a great um, article a couple of years ago um, called Vertical AI, which really neatly explains this. It's worth Googling it after this. Um, maybe put a link in the, in the notes. Um, but the intention was, is to consider domain expertise and data science expertise and put them together in a vertical um, so that you could answer questions that on the face of it, a generic data scientist looking at a problem um, may not understand the nuance of what they're looking at. Um, but I think this augmented approach to artificial intelligence is, is um, much more interesting because it means that you've got to have domain expertise to explain what you're looking at. And that's certainly the case in insurance. So you've mentioned, uh, you've, you've mentioned behavioral analytics, uh, which allow us to build a detailed analysis of how vessels are operated. So can you give, can you give perhaps some practical applications of, of how behavioral analytics can be used in the shipping industry? I think one of the, one of the early things with behavior is around how you apply it. So, you know, three years ago, um, applying it to insurance, um, as a start point, you know, because the previous seven years had been focused on, um, you know, certainly in Winwood's case, um, had been focused on, you know, governments, intelligence agencies, military, you know, particularly navies, federal agencies, border agencies, and, and then taking what we learned in, in those arenas and then applying it in an adjacent uh, market segment. So insurance to start with, and then just over a year ago into uh, sanctions compliance. Um, um, you know, so one of the things that became apparent is um, if you look at, I, I won't go into massive detail about, about compliance because I want to you know, keep the audience awake. Um, so, but just, just in essence, I think one thing that's interesting about it is um, OFAC, which is the Office of Foreign Assets um, Control in the States, part of the um, Department of Justice, um, issued four advisories last year and then one uh, back in uh, May this year. And what they were asking for was, was really difficult and increasingly difficult over the five advisories. And um, I think two out of the seven things they asked for were really straightforward stuff. You know, is it on a list? Yes or no. Um, did it change flag? Yes or no. Did it go to a port? Yes or no. And all of that stuff is great. It's really pretty easy stuff. 
Um, you know, anybody can do that as long as you can operate a database. It's it's pretty pretty straightforward. Um, but where it becomes much more difficult is for those kind of messy, opaque gray areas um, where it's asking about something that isn't obvious. You know, dark activity. Well, how how do you know it's dark activity? Because it's not something that you can just look on the screen and say that looks like dark activity. It's it's um, it can only be known based on its behavior over time. Um, and how can you track behavior over time on 97,000 chips every day? Um, because it's by, by its nature, it's opaque. Um, and also the people who are doing it want it to be opaque. Um, and they're really good at it. And every year they get better. So they have patterns of behavior and we have to learn those patterns um, and teach the models to, to look out for those patterns over time. Um, so, so I think behavior, that's a great example of, of where behavioral analytics is applied to a, a brand new problem to solve because nobody in the industry is really geared up to do that. Um, you know, I spent the last 16, 20 years of my career mostly um, building those kind of list matching approaches, let's say, where you say, is it on a list, yes or no? Um, you know, with, with super data and you know, being able to, you know, really answer those questions in depth. But I kind of think of that on the left-hand side of the continuum almost, um, you know, in terms of data publishing, which is, a, you know, it's an important thing to do. You've got to do it. Um, you still have to do it. But then there's some heavy lifting to do in the middle. And I guess what I'm interested in with this in terms of behavioral analytics is how do you get the machine to do the heavy lifting so that, Essentially, by the time it gets to you, the decision maker, whether you're an underwriter or somebody else, um, that essentially all you've got to do is is look at, you know, go, no, go decisions. Um, and it's much more about outcomes and decision support rather than inputs. Now, more data, because I, I think the last thing people need is more data. What they need is more um, insight, and even, even sometimes beyond insight into decision support, which is much more messy and opaque, but it's harder to get to, you know, I mean, it's taken us 10 years to get to the point where you can do reliable decision support at scale. Um, so I think there's more to come, but it's, but I think behavior is, is, is a fascinating um, area, particularly for maritime because it's because of the scale of it. I completely agree. So would you, would you say in a, in a word, would you say that, uh, the integration of data analytics uh, into the shipping industry and the and the marine insurance industry, would you say that the, that that's about the machines taking over and uh, reducing the amount of uh, manual uh, input, or would you say that it's augmenting uh, what would ordinarily be an extremely difficult, if not impossible, process to to man manipulate that quantity of data? I think the thing I, I've been in shipping for about 26 years um, and you know, I, I started as a chartered ship broker and then did other things. But the thing that's in, kind of intrigued me and this is why I've stayed in the industry for so long is I love the industry and I love the, I love the global nature of it and the people in it. And, and the thing about shipping is that it requires creativity. And the thing that people are brilliant at is creativity. 
the thing that you know machines are not good at by design is creativity so i think one of the things with with shipping is that it's complex in nature and complicated um so i think if you can use machines to take out the complexity or use them use the you know the wisdom of uh or of practitioners let's say um in shipping to solve complex problems but use the machines to do the heavy lifting yeah so i think i think basically when it comes to augmentation um there's real depth in the people that we speak to in the industry it takes a long time to understand the complexity of our industry different strands of it um i don't think you're ever going to replace that and i don't think you want to i think the, i think the idea here is to keep that creativity um and then apply it to you know deeper bigger problems you know as as ships get larger um and you've got less ports handling larger vessels with more expensive problems to solve we need that creativity now more than ever absolutely so um it would it it feels remiss uh, to to be talking about data analytics without mentioning covid-19 uh, and the last 6 months so do you do you see that uh, the the pandemic has impacted speed of innovation and digitalization in the shipping industry or not yeah very much so i th- i think it's um it's been an interesting few months for a number of reasons but um i read somewhere the other day that it had basically collapsed 20 years of innovation into 6 months um because there's no it's an existential crisis so i think um you know it's forced people to make decisions that they otherwise may have put off because they may have thought you know things were nice to have um but i think you know what's been interesting to us is you know dealing across banks and energy and insurance um ship owners law firms globally um and seeing remote execution happening um you know because they have to right so if you've got 300 ships at sea and you're trying to manage them you don't have a choice so just because you've been told you've got to operate from home our customers have had to figure out how to do that just make it happen um and then from our point of view you know supporting those people wherever they are um it just means that we all know what each other's kitchen looks like now because um you know it's 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 become much more survival mode um for for a lot of customers um so i think what's been amazing to me is business continuity um it's it's clear that the ones that are most resilient during these last 6 months will probably be the ones who survive in the next 6 months you know 2 years um i think it's thrown up some opportunities as well which which i've i've seen directly about you know things like talent expansion um you know being able to hire people where they may not be within 10 miles of london for example or new york um but you can just find the best people wherever they are rather than you know necessarily in that old paradigm of you know are they near one of the major conurbations for shipping you know like stanford in connecticut or 
London or Singapore or whatever, um, or Bermuda. Um, and I, so I think I think the last six months has really shown what rapid innovation under pressure looks like, um, because we had to, you know, everybody had to, and and it's it's still it's still not done, right? So it's it's um, it's still an emerging situation. But I think what's encouraging to me is that everybody we speak to is still on the end of the line. We're still doing things like this. Um, you know, we did a we did a webinar series that started early this morning, um, and a thousand people registered for it. So I'm encouraged by the fact that even even during these kind of times, you know, the world still turns, especially ours, you know, in, in insurance and in technology. That's been uh, that's been fascinating. I, the, the takeaways, the takeaways uh, that that I'm hearing are that uh, big data is getting bigger. Uh, there is an ability to process it. Uh, there are um, insights coming from that that data and that processing of that data from the artificial intelligence and machine learning processes. There are insights which were hitherto unknown, uh, and that creates opportunity and uh, it's not it's not going away certainly uh, the last six months have if they've done anything they've accelerated the adoption and it's been really fascinating thank you very much Ron for uh, joining me today for this podcast and uh, I'm sure you and I will speak soon but uh, thank you for your time great thanks very much Nick thanks Sean We'd like to thank the show's sponsor, Maritime Insurance Solutions Limited. The world and life at sea is changing on a daily basis. Shipping companies and owners are facing evolving threats from political risk to increased maritime cyber risk. Shoreline has the maritime insurance answers you need to make sure your company is covered when crisis strikes. Shoreline are providers of specialist maritime cybercrime and crisis response insurance policies. To learn more about these specialist covers, visit www.shoreline.bm today.